0: Welcome to the Beyond Writing Podcast, brought to you by Bright Little Light Press. I'm your host, Daiquiri Carey, and today we have guest host Kay Rhodes with us. Hello. Today we're going to talk about gatekeeping and publishing and sort of some things around the published author mentality. So there's a lot of interesting things that go into the dynamic of your mental state when you start publishing books. And I think a lot of people neglect the mental sort of trauma almost, or at least uh, conflict, certainly, and concern and worry and anxiety and all the things that happen when you start publishing books, whether you're traditionally publishing or self-publishing. There's sort of a different dynamic involved if you're doing traditional versus self-publishing, and we'll explore some of why that is. And we'll try to give you some practical tips to help you keep your mental attitude mental state on track as you move into the publishing process. So this is noteworthy because when you traditionally publish a book, your manuscript goes through uh, multiple levels of gatekeeping before it ever goes out into the world. So when you are traditionally publishing, your first task is going to be to find an agent who wants to sell your book, or represent you anyway. The goal is to sell your book, so you get through a first level of gatekeeping when you find an agent who reads your manuscript and agrees to take you on. So that is one person who has experience in the publishing industry, who has read your story and says, yeah, this has promise, I'm going to uh, pursue this and try to get this published for this person. Obviously, they're just doing it to make money, but the idea that this is someone who's familiar with the industry and thinks this can make money is a level of validation.
1: Yeah. And and the fact that they wouldn't waste time if it wouldn't is further validation.
0: Exactly. So from there, the agent may engage an editor to help you polish up the book before they start shopping it around. Or if they think it's ready, they might just start shopping it to publishers. In either event, if the agent does hire an editor, then you will work with that editor to polish your story and make it an even better version of what it was when it came to the agent. So then that's sort of a second level of validation.
1: From someone who's actually kind of a writer. Sort of. To some degree.
0: And certainly your story will definitely be better after you've worked with an editor, because that's their job. So you know, after having gone through that step, you have a better story. Thus further validating your story.
1: And I mean, either that's going to happen before the publisher or after the publisher, but either way, it's another form of validation.
0: Well, if an agent hires an editor, then it's going to happen both times. The agent has you editing. Then after your uh, story is ready, or if you skip the editor step, your agent will start shopping around your story to publishers. Eventually, hopefully, you will find a publisher who is interested in buying your manuscript. Hooray! Hooray. Release the doves. Sound (laughs) the alarms. Celebrate. This is a huge step. If a publisher agrees to buy your manuscript, that means the publisher thinks it's a good story. A good story that will sell and will be well-received when it goes out into the world.
1: And good enough to risk thousands of dollars marketing and making paper dead tree versions.
0: And money to pay you in advance. There's a lot of overhead that goes in, so for a publisher to decide to take a risk on your book is a huge level of validation. After the publisher agrees to buy your book, then the publisher will have its own editor work with you to create a story that they think is going to be ultimately sellable to the markets where they want to market it. And then you're going to have marketing experts working on your side, helping you move your story. So,
1: in other words, a whole bunch of people telling the world how awesome your story is, further validation.
0: By the time launch day arrives, you will have had advanced readers reading your story. The publisher will send those out to get reviews and to get blurbs from other authors and reviewers. So you've probably had those people saying nice things about your story. And most publishers will prepare an advanced reader team that will have reviews on your book either before it comes out or on lunch day or shortly thereafter. So you will immediately have a stable of positive reviews, hopefully, about how awesome your book is.
1: Yay, validation.
0: Yay! So this is sort of what a successful launch looks like with a traditional publisher. If you get through all of those gatekeeping steps, you can be reasonably assured that your story, when it goes out into the world, is pretty good. People are going to want to buy it. You've already heard a lot of positive things about it, so you're really feeling pretty good about it, and maybe even ready to move on to the next project at that point. It's uh, really positive for your mental state. The only way things go bad in this scenario is if after your book goes out, it doesn't get enough marketing effort and it doesn't sell as many copies as the agent or you thinks it will.
1: But either way, you've still got a bunch of external validation. Oh, all these people who know their stuff, they know it. They know it's good. They told me it's good. These people know their stuff. It just, people just didn't know about it. That's all. It's still, it's a good book.
0: I will say, however, there have been an increasing number of people who have turned to what we call hybrid publishers, or hybrid authors, rather, where they have uh, traditionally published stories, and for whatever reason, they decide to move into self-publishing. Sometimes it is they didn't get enough press through marketing their traditionally published book, and it didn't sell enough copies. So after the a certain period of time with the publisher, they will get their rights back to the uh, content, and go out and self-publish it so that they can put their own marketing effort into it and sell their book.
1: Yeah. Don't just assume you'll get your rights back after a while. That's part of the contract you've negotiated.
0: Yeah, the process of getting your rights back is usually time-consuming and can be expensive. So to Kay's point, definitely don't assume that's going to be a possibility. But I have encountered more and more authors who are going this route, in part if you are a mid-list or sort of back-burner author for your publisher, if you're not one of the really big high-selling people, you may not get enough marketing uh, support from the traditional publisher. It's just sort of a thing. They only have so many marketing dollars to spend and they're going to spend them on the books that they think are most likely to make them money. So that can definitely curb your enthusiasm and give your positive mental state sort of a curveball after publishing. But for a lot of people that never happens. A lot of people have a really positive experience going through the publishing process, and they often will sign agreements with publishers to produce multiple books, so they're already on to the second book, and by the time the second book comes out, they go through this positive validation process all over again, although they get to skip the agent and the having to find a buyer at that point, because you already have the established relationship with the publisher. So it really builds up your confidence as an author, and gives you a lot of external validation about the quality of your writing and the success, hopefully, of your author career.
1: Or to put it another way, you've got a bunch of people confirming that you're not going to put yourself out there and look like an idiot, which is what a lot of people fear.
0: Yeah, it really helps take away a lot of the vulnerability that comes along if you self-publish. So we'll talk about the flip side of that, which now what happens if you are a self-publishing author? So Nothing. (laughs) The first thing to keep in mind if you're self-publishing, none of these gatekeeping steps exist. Literally anybody can go put up their book on Amazon and be a published author. In fact, that's been happening more and more, and in some people's minds, it's leading to a glut of low-quality content available on Amazon and is making people wary of self-published authors. I don't know how much truth there is in that. I think there was always crap that even got through traditional publishing. Maybe there's more of it. Well, I mean...
1: There's definitely more of it.
0: Math would say there would have to be more of it. But the point is, a lot of people are putting their stuff up on Amazon, self-publishing, and have no idea whether it's any good or not. I assume they think it's good, or else they wouldn't put it up. And there's no validation, If you're not doing any marketing, if you haven't done any of the steps that a traditional publisher would do about having an advanced reader team read your book and give you blurbs and then have um, reviews on your book right away after launch, you're not getting any of those validating steps. You don't have an agent who's familiar with the industry who says, yes, this is good enough to pursue. You don't have a publisher who is hoping to make money from your book who says, yes, I think we can sell enough of this to make money you have none of that positive reinforcement that you would get normally through a traditional publishing um, avenue. So for a lot of self-publishing authors, this can be really daunting.
1: Or more the, the prospect of putting it out there and putting yourself on the line going, I mean, it's a very exposing process and you're visibly putting something out there that you've spent a lot of time on and what does it mean if people hate it?
0: Yeah, does it mean there's something wrong with you? At the very best it means you're a poor storyteller. At the very worst, it may mean there's something horribly wrong with you inside as a person. You are horribly corrupted and no not worth caring about and all of the baggage that each of us carry into our writing journey.
1: Yeah, and we're not just to be clear, we're not saying any of that no. is true. But these are the things that people, you know, very realistically fear, you know. To different levels with different people. They're, like, putting themselves out there. It's like singing in public for most people.
0: Very true. And to put this into perspective for you, I will give you an anecdote. This is a personal story. Um, I have been writing since forever. Like, I, I recently, one of my friends told me that apparently I used to make them read my writing when I was in middle school. I would write stories and make them read them. And they apparently enjoyed them, which I guess I should not feel so bad about. Um, But I had forgotten that. But so in uh, 2005, I decided to start taking my writing more seriously and started working on a memoir based on some very personal stuff that was going on in my life. I had a divorce. I had lost my grandmother and my mom right really close together. Um, I, as part of the divorce, ended up filing a bankruptcy. So there was a lot of... Feeling exposed and vulnerable for me personally. So I started writing a memoir, but I wasn't going to call it that. I was going to call it fiction because I didn't want people to necessarily know that these are things that actually happened in my life. And it started out, it was a scene that happened in my house that I had when I lived in Indiana, and I was with my ex husband, and there was something I came home and had asked him to empty the dishwasher, and he hadn't done it. And this was sort of a recurring theme in our relationship. I kept asking him to do things, and he kept not doing them. So he was really unreliable, kept letting me down. And eventually, like, the character in the story got really upset and uh, decided, I don't know, went off on something. I don't remember exactly what the circumstances were, but I went to an agent pitch session with this fictional novel And it was a situation where the agent read the first 20 pages of the book and gave me good critiques and feedback about the story. And when I sat down with her, I had a 20-page printout with a whole bunch of red ink all over it. And let me tell you, seeing all that red ink was terrifying. It was like I was back in high school and my English teacher had just marked up my paper. I felt like completely my stomach was in the floor, and that was before she opened her mouth. When she started talking to me, she said that uh, the descriptions were really beautifully written, she really liked the setting, and it felt like you were real, really there. The prose was good. The only problem was the characters were not at all sympathetic. This wasn't a believable scenario to her. You would never come home, find uh, the dishwasher hadn't been emptied, and decide to get a divorce. That's just not something that happens. Because this had been based on my life, this is a thing that actually happened. This was memoir that I was packaging up as fiction. Suddenly, it wasn't about, is my story any good or bad? It was me as a person. Is I'm not believable. Did I totally mess everything up when I did that? Like, Was I a complete idiot to chuck in my life the way I did? And with, what, over a decade of retrospective, I can see that maybe I didn't give the subject matter quite the depth that it needed, because there was so much that went into the dissolving of that relationship before that scene ever got written that wasn't communicated in that scene. So she never got the background between those two characters, and the fact that this male character had proven himself to be unreliable again and again, untrustworthy, didn't seem to put in uh, the same amount of work and effort as the female character, all of that was sort of left out of that draft. But all I heard was, these characters are not relatable, no one would really believe this in real life, they're not sympathetic, this isn't a story you should pursue. I would say for years, I was completely unwilling to show my writing to anybody after that. I had written a whole bunch of other stuff. 2007 is also the year I started doing uh, National Novel Writing Month, so I think I wrote like three or four novels in the next few years after that. But I just wouldn't show it to anybody. I had this, I had internalized what she said about my writing, but also had turned it into because my writing was based on me, she was saying these things about me.
1: It it, was, it's a bit of an extreme case, and most people are unlikely to have that. But I think most people have, uh, especially with dramatic writing, like very similar types of thoughts, because we always put a bit of ourselves into our stories. So even if it's not a realist, a real scenario that actually happened to you, it's your thought patterns. It's your perception on the world. in at least some of the characters. And when people say that it's not good for whatever version of not good, they have, or unre- unrealistic, unrelatable, you know, uh, whatever there, a lot of us take that as a commentary about ourselves
0: yeah, it's really easy to internalize those sorts of comments. So unfortunately for me, I let that interaction affect my career as an author and stopped pursuing it seriously. I would continue to write stories, but I was just like, you know, I'm not going to be an author. I did start around that time or shortly before that, actually, I had started freelance writing. So that's actually my day job. I had been freelance writing for a decade now. And reasonably doing well on it.
1: Yeah, it was you you had a day job and you were freelance writing and your freelance writing started paying more than your day job and
0: Well, no, this happened before, I think, or right around the same time I started freelancing full time. Oh. <clears throat> but freelance writing was different because that wasn't me putting myself into the content. That was me writing content for other people
1: about mm-hmm. random things like The gold bonds, or the gold market, whatever.
0: Or funeral homes, or bras. If you Google me, you will find so much crap out in the world. Um, Yeah, so it's way less vulnerable to write stuff with other people's content or to put uh, other people's names on it, because, you know, as a freelancer, my name was not anywhere on the stuff I was producing a lot of the time. I would ghostwrite things, or I would do corporate stuff, And yes, it's amazing because I am still writing and I am making a living doing that. That's something that I always wanted to do. But it sort of completely destroyed my confidence for authoring and for telling stories, which is the thing that I love. Like, I will lay in bed at night and tell myself stories. Or if I'm bored while doing the dishes, I'll think about a story. So I know this is sort of an extreme example, as Kay was saying, but it's just really easy for us as writers, we are in our heads all the time to, anytime we get some sort of commentary that we perceive as negative, to internalize that and to take it way harder.
1: And to get kind of to the back to the point that Dacri uh, and I were talking about before this uh, podcast was people have this baggage and they let the baggage prevent them from ever putting their work out there. And that's, you know, a lot of why we wanted to talk about this today is like, it's much easier when you have the validation from the traditional publisher process, but how do you get past that internal baggage and put yourself, put your stuff out there?
0: Absolutely. So I was thinking about this from a self-publishing perspective and I was thinking about how in self-publishing, because there's no gatekeeping, there's also no validation Maybe before you put your book out, you've asked a few friends and family members to read it. Hopefully. But friends and family members aren't exactly trustworthy opinions.
1: Oh no, it's good, dear. It's really good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or, I didn't quite understand it, but I thought it was great. So because there's no really validation steps when you're self-publishing, it doesn't give you that feeling of confidence and that feeling of empowerment that you get if you go through a traditional publishing route. So then you start asking yourself, who is the person who can judge my idea? Like, is my idea any good at all? I think it is, but I don't know. I'm just me. I'm in my head. Is there someone else who can say, yes, this is worth publishing or no, it's not? Is there someone else who can say, you need to keep working on this and make it better?
1: Is there someone else I can blame if things go wrong?
0: Yeah, that's a really good point, Kay. There's that too. And if you are self-publishing, then you put your book out. If you didn't follow a good launch strategy and you're not using good uh, marketing and you don't get sales on your book, then you start to think, oh, my book is no good. When that may not be the case at all, it may just be your book is not well marketed or it doesn't have a good cover or it doesn't have a good blurb. All the things that we've talked about previously that really go into drawing people into your story, those are the things that can hold back your story, even when your story itself is great. So we're going to talk a little bit about how this mindset affects pricing and revenue potential. So one of the things that can happen if you decide to self-publish is that you don't charge enough for your stuff. A lot of people who are self-publishing think, oh, well, um, this isn't a professional thing. I'm an amateur. I should just give my book away for free to build exposure.
1: I would say that pretty much every entrepreneur in every industry does the exact same thing.
0: Yeah, um, when I first started professional writing as a freelance career, writing for exposure was a thing people kept talking about, and it's worse now. Uh, People are constantly wanting you to write for exposure. I'm just going to tell you this once, that's bullshit. (laughs) Writing is work, like any other job, and people should pay you for your work.
1: And even people working the line at McDonald's with no other experience get paid for their work.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And the other thing is uh, self-publishing people charging less for their stuff because they think they can't ask people to pay more. And again, this is, as Kay pointed out, a problem that every entrepreneur has when you first start out. You always undervalue your work because as an entrepreneur, you're basically just putting yourself out into the world and saying, yeah, I'm doing this without the validation of someone else saying, oh yeah, this person is good, or oh yeah, I'd pay that.
1: Yeah, I mean, even now I've been... With the experience I have in programming, my true hourly rate would be somewhat astronomical if I was doing it freelance. And thinking about that now, I'd have a really hard time charging that much. I mean, I've done freelance programming before. I've charged by the hour. I've learned this lesson. And yet, 20 years down the road of doing this, I'm still like, God, could I really charge that much an hour? And the same applies to your book. It's like, yeah, you charge what you're, you know, the going rate. And sometimes like when you're a beginner, you may not feel you're worth the going rate, but just you're always worth the going rate. You know,
0: I heard something, uh, probably around a decade ago too. And this has stuck with me. I'm sure many of you out there have heard this too. Fake it till you make it. This is one of those cases where you absolutely have to do that. Even if you don't think your work is worth, you know, asking the going rate for, pretend like it is. If you want to, if you want to do this seriously, you have to be the first person to take yourself seriously.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there's not, what advantage is there? Like if you're a new author and you've only got one book, so if people read it, they're not going to give you money for the next one because there isn't a next one. So if you put it out there for free or pretty damn close to free, what's the advantage to you? Like, okay, you get some readers, but ah, it was just some free thing. You know, price helps to justify the value of a thing.
0: Yeah, I think uh, Kay has not listened to the podcast I did a few weeks ago on book pricing. No. But there we did talk about perceived value and how things that are free or next to free are basically considered disposable for most people. So if your book is free, people are going to think, oh, it's disposable. Or that you don't value it, therefore why should they value it? It must not be very good if this person is offering it for free. So something to keep in mind. This is one of the ways it can affect your revenue. Um, And also keep in mind, uh, so I've heard a lot of new authors sort of exploring this, And I've heard authors who are a little bit further into their careers sort of responding back to that. Maybe people who have two or three books published and have started a mailing list will ask their mailing list people, how much do you think my books are worth? Or how much would be you would be willing to pay for my books? Presumably the people on the mailing list are familiar with you as an author. They may have read your book, they maybe didn't, you may be trying to get them to read your book. But almost universally, when authors ask these sorts of questions of people, people say more than you think they will.
1: Mm-hmm. That's, the same thing's played out with um, a number of musicians over the past, I don't know, probably ten years or so. Have started uh, playing with uh, pay what you want pricing on their albums, and you know they do these not through iTunes because iTunes doesn't let you do that, but you know for various sellers. And they're finding the exact same thing. You know, people who are fans of your work will pay you frequently more than the average rate because they're like, hey, this is good stuff. I want to support these artists, you know, especially when it comes to the arts. Like, people understand, like, once they become a fan of yours, like, they understand that it requires time and creativity and work. And they're, they want to support it because they want you to make more.
0: But wait, I hear you saying Kay used a very important phrase there. Once, they are fans of your work. So a lot of authors think they have to price at free or a dollar just to get people to read your work in order to make them fans.
1: Yeah, it was just a free thing.
0: Have you ever seen a traditional publisher give away a book for free? Oh, this is a new author. We're not going to charge anything for their books. Hell no! (laughs) They're in it to make money. Their whole point is to make money.
1: And they don't, I mean, they're well familiar with the concept of a lost leader and they still don't do that.
0: Yeah. As we spoke about, maybe they would release, um, back catalog titles at a discounted rate just to get some traffic on them or to sort of drive sales ahead of a new release. But no, you're not going to get traditional publishers giving away a book for free. So why should you? So the other thing to think about is how this sort of mindset can affect producing books. If you don't have that sort of external validation and you don't have that feeling of empowerment that, yes, I am a professional author, people think my stuff is good, how does that affect your book production schedule? So, one of the things that has become apparent, at least in the self publishing industry, but is also true in traditional publishing the authors that are the most successful, that have the best careers, are prolific authors. They produce books regularly. If you think you're going to make a book as a one-off and it's going to make you a successful writer, think again.
1: No. (laughs) Just no.
0: The only scenario in which producing a single book is going to make you a successful author that I can think of is if you also run a business and that book is going to drive people to your business, i.e. if you're using it to establish yourself as a thought leader or uh, establish your credentials and authority in your business field then having a book out can help.
1: Either that, or you just get insanely lucky.
0: Yeah, that doesn't really
1: happen. Yeah, It's like playing roulette. You're pretty much not going to win. Only the odds are much, much worse.
0: Yeah. So, in order to be successful, you're going to have to be producing multiple books. But this can get really daunting, especially in the scenario where you are releasing books, but you haven't done a really regimented launch routine, and you haven't done a lot of good marketing, so the books that you have out already are not selling well, and you're not getting good reviews on them, that can really erode a self-publishing author's confidence. So when that starts to happen, there are sort of three things that can come out of it. One is you start to find reasons and excuses for not writing. Like, oh, I'm really busy doing this marketing thing, or... Oh, I need to listen to this podcast that's going to tell me how to make my career more successful. Hi. Um, you'll find other excuses that will prevent you from writing because really you feel like a failure and you're afraid people don't like your stuff. It's really tough to like, do the soul searching to get to that part inside. But that drives a lot of people who never put out another book or who really drag their heels about producing the next book. Another possibility is something Kay hinted at earlier. Instead of putting a book out at all, you'll just spend forever perfecting it. So I think um, Patrick Rothfuss, who wrote The Name of the Wind, said something like he spent 10 years polishing that book. That's too long. If he had gotten that book out nine years sooner, he could have had, I don't know, five, seven more books out. He could have had a much more established career. Maybe he would never have had the widespread commercial success he did, but there are a lot of mid-list authors who do quite well, releasing books regularly, who never get the sort of crazy once-off um, success that someone like a Patrick Office has had, but can do it as a career.
1: Yeah, and it's pretty safe to say that those 10 years didn't actually make him like six books worth of better quality. Like, I'm sure he polished it up. I'm sure he made it better. But there's only so much polishing you can do. You know, it's every, it's just difficult. (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah, I heard someone say after a few editing passes, you've gotten through all of the things that you are going to substantially change about your story. And you're basically just moving around punctuation. Yeah. And when you get to that point, your book is ready to go.
1: Your book's probably ready to go before that point, but...
0: That's true. So Kay has a good sort of mental mindset around this. Um, Kay, do you remember what your quote is about this?
1: So a lot of people have probably heard the saying that perfect is the enemy of good. I have a counter saying, better is the enemy of perfect. Because something can always be better There is no really such thing as perfect And even you've got something that's it's excellent It works great This is the perfect tool Or this is the perfect phrase And it sits there for a few years And eventually, you know, of living with it You think, oh wait You know, if I modify it slightly It would be a little bit better So for me... This is a completely liberating thought because I will never get it done. There will always be more that can be done. It can always be polished. It can always be changed. It can always be improved. And I say that in air quotes in some way, but because it can always be improved, like there is never a stopping point that I have to achieve. It's like, Hey, I've got something that I believe is good. You know, I've done the basic sanity checks. You know, if it's writing, I've gotten an editor. If it's code, I've gotten someone to review my code, basically another editor. You know, you you do the basic checks, you run it by someone else, and you believe in yourself like, hey, this is actually a pretty good thing. And yes, I could modify it. Yes, I could make it better. But you know what? It doesn't matter because I'll never not be able to say that. So, hey, I believe in this. This is good. Put it out there. For some people, it's actually kind of a scary thought. because Yeah, it
0: can be paralyzing for people who have a different sort of mindset. Um, I was saying to Kay when we had a conversation about this recently that, to me, the idea that a thing will never, ever be perfect is kind of scary. It's like, no matter how hard I try, I can't make it as good as I want it to be. And if that's the case, then why should I even try at all? Or when will I ever get done trying?
1: you'll never be done. It's like life. You always learn, you always get better. Everything you've written, you know, you look five years later at something you wrote, you know, five years ago and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I put that out there. You're like, or at the very least, oh, that, that bit could have really been better. You know, you're always going to say that because as long as you keep working at your, you know, whatever it is, be it writing, be it, you know, blacksmithing, whatever. You're going to get better if you keep working at it. And then you're going to look back at what you did before and go, oh, that could have been better. But it's the best you can produce at that point in time, realistically, without killing yourself. Like, put out something good, do the sanity check, and don't worry that it could be better, because everything can be better.
0: Yeah, there's a good point around that. Um, there are sort of two schools of thoughts around what it, what you're doing when you write a book. And some people think writing a book, especially people who are into literary fiction, think that writing a book is an art. You are going to be divinely inspired. You are going to get this amazing idea. Your book is going to be so insightful. And the thing that you create is something that nobody else in the entire history of man could ever have created. Then there are the people who understand. (laughs) Like any other profession, writing is a craft. It's something that you have to practice and that you will get better at the more often you practice it. It's like anything else in life. Think about, I don't know, if you're a baker, think about the first time you ever baked something. Did it go well? Probably not.
1: Yeah, I saw this all the time with my mom's students. My mom was an artist and one of the ways she, you know, artists never make money. So one of the ways she made uh, her living was teaching uh, usually high school-aged kids, uh, sometimes you start in elementary school, and bringing their drawing skills up to a level where they could get free scholarships to an art school. And I saw it again and again. She'd start with these kids, and they did the same crappy drawings that every child does. And by the end of work practicing every week and working with a trained instructor, like they were producing amazing stuff that you honestly, wouldn't be surprised to see in a, in a museum, you know, yes, they will get better years near, but like the difference, like you'd see back to back these, you know, for me watching them because kids grow so fast and when kids are practicing stuff they get that they care about, they get so much better, so much faster. And you just see this progression from child draw like drawings to I could walk out on the street and get money for these portraits. No problem. And it's, yeah, these are artists. None of them were divinely inspired. They were just, they put in the work and they got better.
0: Yeah, so that's something to think about as you're at the beginning of your career, whether you are self publishing or traditionally publishing. This is true on either side of the fence. When you start out, the book that you write is going to be the best book that you can write at that time, but it's going to get better. The more you practice it, the more books you write the more you go through the editing process, the more you get feedback from people through reviews or through advanced reader teams, you will continue to improve your skills. So that can be really liberating, knowing that the work that you start out producing isn't your best work. It's going to get better. Just accept that. Accept that work early in your career may be crap, but you're going to keep practicing, and it's going to be better.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've mentioned her before, Laurel K. Hamilton. Her initial books are they're kind of crappy they're entertaining reads but from a technical proficiency standpoint they're not actually that good and you can argue about the later the quality of her later books but there's no denying that her technical skills and her storytelling ability have like grown by leaps and bounds because she just kept writing I think there there is the corollary there and that obviously don't go too far and go, well, this is the best I can do right now. It's like, no, you got to have a sense of quality. You have to believe, not just like, oh, I wrote something like NaNoWriMo. Like most of the NaNoWriMo books are crap, prob- possibly because of the rules of NaNoWriMo, which are just keep writing, don't go back and edit. So like it's understandable they're mostly crap. But the people who do those generally know that, oh, I was just writing quickly. I wasn't trying to make this good. And, you know, it's fine if you've written a nanorimo book, but don't expect that just because you poured through the things and didn't go back to do edits that that's acceptable to put out there. No, have a sense of quality and go back and make sure that, that what you've written is the best you can do. And, you know, I think every nanorimo book can have, stand to have some major edits.
0: So, yeah, to go along with what Kay said, he just brought this conversation full circle back to my third point I was going to make about how this mindset can affect producing books. And that is that you can decide that your book is good enough and just put it out into the world without enlisting a trusted reader team or without enlisting the aid of an editor, without giving the polish that it deserves before you just sort of thrust it out into the wild.
1: Which yes. Possibly what a lot of those zero dollar self-publishing people are doing.
0: I haven't read enough of those books to comment. Yes, the goal is to get your book out into the world. Absolutely. And no, we don't want you to be paralyzed for years as you go pouring over and over your book trying to think, is it good enough now? Is it good enough now? That's too extreme. But you should enlist a trusted reader team. Maybe at first it is your family members. If you can get someone a little less closely connected to you, that's great. Um, There may be writing groups you can participate in, where you can do book swaps, or you hire an editor. I know a lot of people sort of bulk at that expense, but really, when you're starting out, those people can give you invaluable feedback that shape your technical capability and help you create a better story so that when you put it out into the world, it's ready to go. So the downside of doing that, if putting this out into the world before it's been polished and before it's ready, is that can hurt your career. If you start out by putting out something that's just not well-developed, maybe it's uh, got some really bad plot holes, or maybe you've just edited it poorly, and like halfway through one of the character's name changes, and maybe the um, end of the book is crap, or maybe you decide you're going to end it on a cliffhanger. Readers hate cliffhangers. Um These things can actually hurt your career, because if people start reading this and decide this author is crap, they can leave reviews for other people, so you may have fewer people reading it, and these people who would be uh, incentivized to become your fans early on are instead going to evangelize people against you. So you don't want that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what Mark was saying happened with his early book, right?
0: Uh, Yeah, so I was talking to Kay recently, um in either a podcast or some sort of a written communication, Mark Dawson talked about how he thought he could edit his own book himself when he started publishing. And he had some early reviews early on in his career where Uh, people...
1: Quite a number of.
0: Yeah. Where people complained about the quality of the book was poor. There were a lot of grammatical errors, a lot of spelling mistakes and some things that were unrealistic. He didn't have like a... I think it was a, I don't know, some sort of spy or crime thriller, and he didn't have a background in that. So something he wrote about a weapon was not accurate, or some sort of part of a scenario was not accurate. So he has now built himself quite a successful author career. So it didn't ruin his career. And he
1: he hires uh, hires editors.
0: Yeah, he, he learned that lesson. And he has advanced readers who have these backgrounds that he lacks. So they can say, oh, well, you used this handgun here, and that's really not what they would use. It would be this type of, I don't know, assault rifle instead.
1: But m- more, more to the point at hand, those crappy reviews are still there. He's taken the book, he's had an editor go through it and you know improve all that stuff, and he's uploaded new versions of it. So people are actually getting the well edited one. But there are years worth of this is a crappy book. It's got terrible grammatical errors that I don't are know that review- it's years worth. Well, but there are a
0: non-trivial number of. These reviews.
1: Right. And, you know, he can't make them go away.
0: Yeah. And a less determined author, if he wasn't somebody who thought, I'm making this work, I'm going to fix it, could just be discouraged by those crappy reviews and say, oh, well, I'm no good at this. Um, Somebody else may be able to write a good story, but I just can't do it. That's not true. You can't. You just got to practice. Yeah. So to that end... How do you know when your book is good enough? How do you know when you've reached that point that it's okay to put it out into the world without having that traditional publishing gatekeeping process? So the first thing is what I said before. Have an advanced reader team. If you are just starting out in your career, you probably don't have a mailing list, you don't have a bunch of potential fans you can pull, ask your friends and family.
1: Yeah, and... and Personally, I would recommend avoid the family, avoid the close friends. I mean, yes, you do want their feedback from you, but in most cases, at least in American society, those people are going to be less likely to give you negative comments or they'll give you superficially negative ones but not tell you the the really bad stuff. Like in my personal experience, it's like – there are probably a couple coworkers you have who you've developed a good relationship with. You're not like really close friends, but you trust them to be honest with you and because they're not family because you don't hang out with them on a regular basis, you know, these people may be willing to give you honest feedback. And that's something you really got to try and find someone who will give it give you that honest feedback because it doesn't matter how many times you tell your, you know, your mom or dad, no, really, I, I just tell me the truth, you know, how, how bad was it? Or, you know, and they're like, oh, no, it wasn't that bad, honey. It was I had a couple nitpicks, like, they'll give you something superficial, like your grammar here, there was a mistake. But they won't tell you that actually that I was completely uninterested in the characters and just kept reading because you're my child.
0: <laughs> um, it, on the flip side of that, even if they tell you amazing things, you may not believe them because they're your parents. Even if they have good feedback, you right. may think, "Oh, well, they're just saying that."
1: Yeah, even if it actually is an amazing book.
0: Yeah, I think Kay's recommendation of finding a more distantly connected coworker is a good one. Um, you could also look for acquaintances, like friends of friends, who are not directly connected with you. Maybe, like as a favor to your friend, they would read this book.
1: Yeah, but obviously, you want people who are actually interested in whatever genre you.
0: Yeah, that's a an important point. Um, People who are not familiar with your genre may not give you feedback that is relevant to your story.
1: Or they'll just say they didn't like it because they don't like that genre, you know?
0: Yeah, but I think more importantly is the feedback isn't tailored. Like if, for example, um, I was saying something about one of Mark Dawson's books. I don't really read crime thrillers very often. So I could read one of those and maybe I would even enjoy it, but I'm not your target audience. So, any feedback I could give you would be superficial about story structure or grammar, not like is this something that someone in your genre is going to want to read?
1: yeah, like you probably wouldn't come off and say, "Oh, this was really an amazing book, even if it was because no crime thriller is probably going to be amazing to you. Well, there's probably one out there
0: I mean, no oh, it's not gonna um." So, another thing is to hire an editor. And I keep saying this, and I don't want to just drone on about it, but it's something that's really important and worth repeating. Especially if you're just starting out, it's worth hiring an editor who's going to help you with the story structure, not just someone who's looking for grammar issues or spelling or word choice. Hire someone who can really help you make your story the best version of itself. And that may mean cutting out 10,000 words. That may mean cutting out 30,000 words. And you may kick your heels, uh, you may drag in your heels and go kicking and screaming and say, no, it, my book is good. It, I don't need to delete 30,000 words. That's ridiculous.
1: Everybody's book needs more delete key.
0: Yeah. there, huh, Kill your darlings. I just got to do it. It's part of what makes stories good. And I'm going to tell you uh, at Bright Little Light Press... We have not made a judicious enough use of the delete key. There are definitely some scenes that I have gone back and read on some of the books that we published earlier that should have either been cut entirely or certainly had some significant editing done. You live and learn. And if you're concerned about the cost of hiring an editor, yes, it is expensive. There's no question about that. But if you really want to be successful at telling stories especially if you want to make this your career you have to take yourself seriously you have to invest the time you wouldn't start doing some other profession without at least trying to learn the basic skills if you were going to go out and become a pastry chef you would probably go to culinary school or if you were going to become a firefighter you'd probably work on your physical fitness before you started
1: Right. And and uh, a related thing is a lot of writers think, oh, well, I could edit this. And being able to build a fire and knowing how to put it out is not the same thing as being able to be a firefighter. Like being able to write a story and edit a sentence is not the same as being an editor. Like it is a specialized skill set.
0: Not only is it a specialized skill set, but... You're looking at your own stuff. Yeah. No matter how much you try to be objective, you cannot be objective. You know exactly what you meant when you wrote that line. You know exactly what that character's motivations are when you wrote that scene.
1: Well, your story from before is a perfect example. You knew why she was getting pissed off at him about the dishwasher, but no one reading it knew.
0: Nope. So... You definitely need that outside perspective to help you really make your story into the best version of what it can be. And finally, you can seek validation through sales data and reviews once you get your book out. That can help you with future books. The caveat about that is, if you start to get negative reviews...
1: When you eventually get negative reviews.
0: When you eventually get negative reviews, take into consideration that there are a lot of things that make people leave negative reviews... It may not be your story. Maybe your story isn't what they wanted at that particular moment. Maybe the marketing of your story is a little bit off. Maybe you targeted someone who just wasn't a good fit for your story.
1: Look at the previews for so many movies. Like they do the preview that makes it look like, oh, it's totally going to be a movie about X. Oh, yeah, I love X. And you go and you watch it and like that was a movie about Y that just happened to pass X in the courtyard.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a good example. Um, another thing to keep in mind is some people are more critical than others when they're leaving reviews. So, uh, one of our authors came recently and had the first, uh, two star rating on Goodreads and was a little bit thrown off by that. So we started looking at the person who left the review, the other things that that person reviewed and a lot of them got one or two stars from this particular reader, There were a few things that got four or five stars, but I think very few things had five. Mostly three, four was good from this particular reader. So what you think of when you see one or two stars may not actually be what that person intends to say. Or it may just be they're a really critical person. They only like a certain type of thing, and your thing wasn't that. Yeah. And this is especially true if you're just getting a star rating that has no explanation attached to it. The other thing to think about when people leave reviews, if you read the negative reviews, which no matter how well your intentions may be around this, you're going to read it at some point.
1: You're not going to know it's negative until you read it.
0: Well, I mean, if you see a note like a one or two star rating, you probably wouldn't no. read it. Yeah. I mean, some people say I will never read any reviews under three stars or other people say I just don't read reviews. I think you can gain a lot of insight into your audience if you read reviews. So I wouldn't say don't read them at all. But definitely when you get negative views, think about the other factors and really think about what the person is saying, too.
1: And remember that it's not about you.
0: Right. It's about the story, that particular story that got into their hands at that moment in their lives. It could be they just had a really horrible breakup and something in your story reminded them of the breakup. And so they want to throw it across the room. Uh, It could be, you know, they just lost a family member and they're feeling really sad and need to like lash out about something. It could be that they really love crime thrillers and you wrote about the wrong weapon and that's like an absolute um, line you do not cross when it comes to superfans. There are a lot of things that aren't substantially about the story that can make people leave bad reviews. I
1: just came across a uh, book on Audible and overall, people liked the story, but in almost every single case... And to varying lengths of number of sentences did they go on about how the narrator kept saying, like, commandment instead of commandant. (laughs) Like, it was in a military sci-fi thing, and one of the people was a commandant, and the narrator didn't know how to pronounce the word correctly. And I don't remember what exactly... word she used instead. But every single review was like going on. She kept mispronouncing Commandant. And, you know, there's going to be stuff like that in your book, (coughs) especially, you know, early on in your career when, you know, you like you, maybe you don't get an editor, bad author, bad author, or maybe you use some esoteric word, which you use, and it looks good in the sentence, but the editor has never heard of that word. And they're not going to look up every single word. They're like, yeah, this makes sense. I, I think it means that. Like, there's – there's,"
0: Or you get a crappy editor who's not good at their job.
1: Or you get a crappy editor that's not good at their job. Like, things can slip through and you're going to get people, like, poking at that thing. That thing was really annoying. And it's like, you know, ignore the the one little thing. Yes. Go back and say, yeah, that, that got messed up. But – it's focus on the the reality of the thing. You will improve that. You will never make that mistake again. That's fine. But what are the overall quotes about?
0: Yeah. If you get a bunch of bad reviews that are about one particular thing, you will never mess that up again. <laughs> Think of it as a learning experience. And I want to give you an example that the other point I was going to make is just different people have different tastes and different tolerance levels for certain things. And different expectations. So as somebody who's been writing professionally for a decade, and part of my job has been editing sometimes, and I'm kind of, I wouldn't say I am full-on grammar Nazi, but definitely writing errors, I notice them. And if I'm trying to read a book that has a whole bunch of errors in it, it's going to annoy me.
1: Yeah, I mean, that just came up in uh, a book I'm I'm listening to. That's
0: the example I was just yeah. about to say. <laughs> So Kay found this book that he's really enjoying, and he came to me and was like, read this. I only read the first paragraph of this description, but this book is awesome.
1: I just wanted her to read the blurb.
0: So I started reading the product page on Amazon, and before I even got through the first paragraph, there were like four grammar issues, and it really like made me upset. <laughs> I was like, not going to like this book, no matter what, at that point.
1: Yeah, admittedly, I... Very briefly read the first paragraph. The premise seemed interesting. I saw like a thousand reviews that were four and a half, given like four and a half stars. And I'm like, I'll take a flyer. I need a book to read. And I was like, I didn't have much time. So was I thinking more critically? I might not have. Reading it, it's obviously an inexperienced author, but it's still a fun read. And I don't care that the writing isn't perfect. It's a fun read. They've succeeded as far as I'm concerned, at least halfway through the book
0: and Kay keeps talking to me about this book because he's reading it and really enjoying it and I'll be honest with you the premise sounds interesting to me it sounds like the author is telling an interesting story but after reading that product description page I don't even want to look at the look inside I know it's going to drive me crazy
1: now just imagine that Daiquiri you know encountered that in the book after she'd already bought it her review is not going to have a lot of stars in it
0: yeah that would be bad that would just be bad So Kay is really enjoying this book, doesn't care so much. I, I know that it would drive me insane, so I'm not even going to buy the book. Two people, two very different opinions. This is what you're going to encounter when people start leaving reviews. So yeah, I think the most important thing to keep in mind as you pursue your writing journey, whether you are going to go with traditional publishing And you're going to have all of those gatekeepers who are validating you every step of the way. Or whether you're going to go self-publishing and you're just going to be hoping it's good enough most of the time. Just be persistent. Keep at it.
1: And put it out there.
0: Yeah. Put it out there. Don't do what I did. (laughs) Don't decide after a traumatic experience with an agent that, oh, I'm just not very good at telling stories. Or, oh, I'm a crap person and that's just the end of it. Don't do that.
1: The hardest part really is just putting it out there. And we've gotten the exact same thing from our overlanding adventures. Uh, We and everyone else who's done massive trips like, like we have, people are like, you know, what was the hardest part? Leaving.
0: Like literally getting on our motorcycles and driving down the street.
1: Yeah not you know having diarrhea on the side of the road not all these amazingly uncomfortable and disgusting situations and not needs. the
0: corruption and the times when we thought we might not get across a border
1: yeah none no. of the bad things the hardest part is just walking out the door yeah. and once you've done that you're like why was that so hard put your stuff out there that's the it's <laughs> that's the hardest part just starting just put yeah. it out there You know, believe that you've got something reasonably good quality and put it out there and then just iterate and work on it.
0: That's about it. I don't think we need to say any more than that. So as always, thanks for listening, guys. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.